This is the London Live Podcast. Listen live weekdays from 1 to 3 on 980 CFPL. We've been through a lot of change in the last three months. That's okay, though. It's okay. We're, uh, we're getting used to some things. Some things we'll never get used to. Some things have been really sad, really tragic. Uh, so it's just about kind of moving forward and what we're doing. But at the same time, we happen to have minds putting their heads together and saying, you know, this gives us an opportunity to maybe test some things out. And one of the things, I don't know whether it started to percolate in New Zealand first, might have been, but that thing was the four-day work week. The idea that in order to stimulate an economy, a four-day work week actually could do this. Now, I am beyond understanding completely how that will work. If you want to talk economics, I will suggest many people who are not me. But the four-day work week is actually being tested out, and this becomes fascinating. Joining us right now is Barry Carroll, who is the Chief Administrative Officer in the Municipality of the District of Guysboro in Atlantic Canada. And Barry, we want to thank you for being here. How is Monday going? Monday is going well. It's, uh, yeah, I had a three-day weekend there to kind of prepare, so it uh, feels pretty good and pretty fresh today. Okay, so your weekend then must have started after your work day on Thursday. That's exactly right. So this is the, the, the anniversary, the one-week anniversary of the new four-day work week in our workplace. And let's talk about this pilot project. How long is this planned to go for? Yeah, so we, we started last Monday. Um, we're looking at a nine-month pilot project, and uh, it's coming out of COVID, actually. Um, we, for two and a half months, uh, most municipalities in Nova Scotia actually had uh, vacated their offices for most of the, the, the crux of the pandemic, and we decided to staff our offices, and we came up with a two-day-on, two-day-off work plan system and that kind of led to the uh, four-day work week idea interesting okay so four-day work week when you decided to at least put this project in play what was it that you were hoping it would accomplish well mike honestly um you know we've been eight or nine ten years even really focused on mental health of our employees uh something that we focused on. I mean, as you know, I've been in the workplace now for, for quite some time, and, and, you know, mental health was a little bit of a taboo subject at best. And uh, and even when people were taking sick days, if if they did need it from a mental health perspective, it, would, it wasn't uh, looked on the same fashion as someone that broke their leg or was sick in some other way. So we started to focus on it a little bit a, a few years ago, and and really, um, you know, when this idea, when we start working through the two-day-on, two-day-off uh, system of COVID, uh, you know, we thought, look, we can have a major impact on one's mental health if we uh, if we look at a new system of the four-day work week. So, so that was kind of really, uh, you know, coming out of COVID, it was an idea, um, you know, and I and I have to say, even just in a short period of time here, seeing lots of smiles on people's faces. Uh, and then knowing that we're improving that, uh, you know, home and work-life balance already seems to be uh, proving beneficial here. So, so really, that was the start of it. Uh, you know, from a, I think our focus on mental health uh, leading into this, and and even early stages. But I almost feel like even this one thing is probably better than all the other things combined that we did over the last uh, number of years. 
Barry Carroll joining us, Chief Administrative Officer in the municipality of the District of Guysboro in Atlantic Canada, where they are in the throes of a nine-month pilot project looking at a four-day work week. There may be people listening right now thinking, man, I have so much work, I can't get it done in five days, so how can I possibly squeeze things into four? What are the rules when it comes to the four-day work week? So it's a condensed four-day work week, so nobody is getting off with less hours here. So we, uh, so if you work 40 hours in the past, you work 40 hours now. You just do it over four days. So we're, we're four 10-hour days. Uh, and if you work 35, actually you're working four nine-hour days. In that case, we're including a half hour for lunch, which is basically on-site. Uh, but, you know, that's what, you know, the give and take. And, and really, we looked at the work from home model, but it doesn't really work for our workplace. But, you know, this is something that we believe can work for us, Mike. And, and in our situation, we ex- actually extend the hours that our buildings are open by five hours a week. So it's a bit of a win-win here. We increase the service levels uh, for our residents and for our taxpayers, while at the same time, our employees get the benefit with the added day on the weekend. And is that day always Friday, or do you have people who kind of shift around so that Friday can be covered, or seven days can even be covered? Yeah, well, we do have people that do, uh, you know, are involved in uh, different shifts. But our main shift, uh, you're either on Team A or Team B. You're working Monday to Thursday with Friday off, or Tuesday to Friday with Monday off. And the plan is for for them to the first full week of every new year, then they would flip. So we're not doing it every month or every other week. You know, it's very difficult to do that. Uh, the system is in place the first full week of a new year, then they'll flip. And uh, the people that had Fridays off will then get Mondays off, etc. We're, talk- we're talking about experiencing the four-day work week, which Barry Carroll, Chief Administrative Officer in the Municipality of the District of Guysboro in Atlantic Canada, is in the midst of right now. So let's go back over the weekend that you just experienced. We've all had a three-day weekend before, but you mentioned you're not trimming down hours. So what was the work week like, and then what was the weekend like for you? Yeah, so, Mike, I, I you know, from my own perspective, and I think, I, you know, as I talk to most of our employees, uh, many of our employees are in 10 to 15 to 20 minutes before the workday actually starts anyway. So it wasn't much of an adjustment in the morning. And staying that extra half an hour in the evening, the same thing almost applies. Uh, you know, we don't have many people that run, were running out at 4.30. You know, they were out by 20 to 5 or quarter to 5. So, you know, there wasn't a feeling that the extra length of the day was an issue. Uh, but, of course, you know, when, when Thursday rolled around, you're thinking that's the new Friday. Uh, you know, it has a big uh, impact. And, and I think even, you know, I'm, I'll speak personally here. I'm in the work on Monday, you know, and I have that Friday to look forward to, to be off. And that's a, that gives me a bounce in my step even on a Monday, you know, to start the work week. Uh, so it's making, you know, if it, to me mentally it, it's making a difference. And I think that's what I'm hearing from my coworkers here. Did you have any difficulty fitting in everything that you had to do within the first four days of the week? Did you end Thursday and say, uh, well, I'll leave this till Monday or I will find time on the weekend, or did it all kind of come together? Yeah, I would say for the most part it did come together, but it was I had to adjust. There's no no joke about that. I had to adjust my what I'm doing on a Monday to Friday, knowing that I had to do it on a Monday to Thursday, 
uh, I had to adjust my uh, my my you know how I was going about the, the workplace. So there was some adjustment, but uh, you know, in the end, I think it's a benefit. And I think everybody is feeling the same way. Well, it's going to be fascinating to watch how this goes after after a uh, a few weeks or a couple of months or even at the end of this nine month pilot project. But are you hearing anybody today, Barry, who has said, Ugh, "I didn't like that at all"? Can I go back to the old way? Yeah, I don't think so. We did. We actually gave them all the option to to stay on their you know normal five day week, um, but not no nobody chose to uh, <laughs> to do that. Everybody is on the four day work week and. And, you know, after week one, I think everybody, uh, you know, is pretty happy with that. So I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah. Well, Barry, you may be setting a trend that the rest of the country follows if they can. I mean, manufacturing sectors, it may be a a bit more of a challenge or some other, depending on the job, maybe a little bit more of a challenge. But we're all eagerly waiting to see how this works. Can we check back in in a couple of months or certainly in nine months? Yeah, sure, Mike, any time. Feel free to do so. Well, be safe and enjoy. Uh, well, you're almost at third. Look at this, Barry. You've only got you know three and a half days left in the week. Enjoy that. <laughs> That's right. I do. It's great. <laughs> take care of yourself and keep safe. Okay. Take care, Mike. Okay. That's Barry Carroll. He's the chief administrative officer in the municipality in the district of Guysboro in Atlanta, Canada. And so they took this into consideration. We all think, as soon as you think, well, four-day work week, Immediately, what are you expecting? You're expecting, well, then you reduce the number of hours you're working. They're not doing that. So working four 10-hour or four 10-hour days, that's a chunk. That's Now, a lot of people will admit they do that already, but four 10-hour days, however, you may be able to get your productivity up, and that's something else that's going to be examined through all of this. There are a lot of workplaces doing questionnaires, acting, asking anyone who's working from home, how do you feel about your productivity? Are you more productive at home? Are you less productive at home? And in some ways, it depends on your certain situation. If you have young children, it is tough to work from home and keep them occupied and keep them safe and happy and all those things. If you're in a different situation from that, it you can be more productive. You don't have any kind of commute. You don't have some of the distractions of the office. And in this case, they're looking at not necessarily working from home four days a week. But what I'm getting at is these questionnaires are going out there and they're looking at productivity. So if someone were to ask you, if you were to work four 10-hour days or work whatever hours you do now, but condense them into four days so that you get three days off a week, is that going to be beneficial? There's always the little check-in on the phone, right? For a lot of businesses, for a lot of jobs these days, there's always that little check-in. There's always something that you could do. But if that was five minutes, ten minutes on the weekend, as opposed to another full day of work, they're looking at it for nine months. And so far, after one week, nobody is saying, twist me back. And the idea of whether Monday or Friday would work best, you don't really get to choose you will be rotated, but, you know, there's a lot to like in this. And just that idea of, you know, what is Monday about? Think about Monday. When you woke up today, if you had to work, what was Monday about? Ugh, we're at the beginning of the week. I didn't even get all the stuff I wanted to have done, done on the weekend. Now I've got to do all this stuff until Friday. What if you could say, yeah, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then, whew, 
I got a day off. That mental health thing, I've, I'm, here's what I'm interested to know, just before we leave this. I'm interested to know whether that remains. What Barry talked about where he says on Monday he feels, hey, I, I'm going to be off for the weekend as of Thursday. That's new. That's new and exciting right now. And when things are new and exciting, that's fantastic. But when that wears off, will the slog of the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, 10-hour days catch up to them? And that's something to ask once we get to the end. That's how they're doing it right now in the District of Guysboro. Long-term care homes have been a major focus during this COVID-19 pandemic, and rightly so. We have lost a lot of people. And it's something that we can use a lot of hindsight for and try and figure out, well, if this had happened, if this had taken place, if this, you know what, if this pandemic hadn't happened, maybe we wouldn't be looking closely right now. And it's great looking closely at absolutely everything to see how it was working. Because the worst thing you can do is say, well, let's just do it the way we've always done it. That's the worst thing anybody can do in any situation. And so we've had an opportunity to look and see what has been taking place across the board. And in some ways, we're going to do that in you know fine-tooth comb fashion. In other ways, it won't quite happen like that. But we have an opportunity right now to talk a little bit and get maybe more of a sense of how things have been going at long-term care centers. Jen Killing joins us. Jen is the Vice President of Quality and Innovation for People Care Communities Incorporated. And they have a number of long-term care facilities in a number of different locations. Jen, thanks so much for being here. You're welcome, Mike. Thanks. Thanks for having me. This may be really, really broad, but are there some things that stand out to you when you look back over the past three months and, and what they've been like? I'm sure. Actually, uh, you know, truly from the very beginning, um, uh, we made uh, we made all of our decisions based on um, one goal: saving lives. Um, we really p- pivoted our operations very quickly to help our homes focus entirely on keeping their residents safe and well cared for. Um, we worked on putting precautions in place to protect residents and staff, often ahead of official directives. Things like universal masking, single-site workforce, requiring a negative COVID test before admission or readmission. And we honestly will always push for doing the right thing. Um, We're so incredibly proud of how our staff have led through this public health crisis. Um, They've stayed true to our people care values and the way we operate, pandemic or not, and have kept the focus on providing excellent care to our residents and making sure our residents honestly continue to enjoy an incredible quality of life and meaningful experiences, um, good meals, fun, and laughter in the home. Well, I mean, that's that's what we're hoping for, and, and it's nice to hear that, but at the same time, you know, when we hear long-term care homes, we're hearing, you know, an outbreak here, outbreak here, outbreak here, and we're thinking every single one is affected, which we know now hasn't been the case. But if if we went back, was there any way to be prepared for what has taken place? Um, that's an excellent question. And like you said, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. Um, truly, in long-term care, we have um, a lot of experience in managing infectious illness and outbreaks. 
And uh, it helped us uh, to take quick action and implement the necessary precautions early. But at the same time, like COVID is a tenacious virus. And, um, and long-term care and people care provide um, care to many people who are very elderly and often very frail. So truly the most vulnerable population in Ontario. Um, one of the biggest issues with this pandemic um, across Ontario is ward beds or four-bed wards in um, old sea homes. And we have been um, and continue to um, look to government to move ahead quickly with their commitment to build new long-term care homes and redevelop the older sea homes to really eliminate this um, as being a, an ongoing risk for uh, long-term care residents. It makes sense because you put four people in a room and they live in that room. And if you've seen a ward room, whether it's in a hospital or whether it is in a long-term care home, you know that, yeah, you can have privacy. There are curtains and things like that. And the way it's kind of set up, everybody usually has their own corner. It's a fairly big space. But you're sharing that air. And you're sharing, you know, just that entire space. So that that certainly makes sense. If, if we look, and right now we're talking with Jen Killing, who is the Vice President of Quality and Innovation for People Care Communities Incorporated. And they run a number of long-term care facilities, including Oak Crossing here in this area. And we get an opportunity just to, to kind of look at how this has progressed. Jen, if you look at changes being made along the way, how, how would you kind of look at what's been done in that realm? Sure. So um, change is truly, um, rapid change is truly the name of the game and has been for the last um, three months. Um, we are um, every day making changes that are aligned very with very quickly evolving government and public health directives. And um, as we all look to make good decisions based on the best evidence. Um, our homes uh, put pandemic protocols in place with enhanced infection control practices. And honestly, we have learned and continue to improve and refine our IPAC practices and tools along the way. Testing is truly a big change that we, um, we all need, actually all of Ontario needs. To get ahead of COVID, we urgently need on-demand point-of-care testing with rapid results of 60 minutes or less. The rapid test results are actually the key. Um, it would give us in long-term care, but also the, everyone in the province, the real-time data they need to be effective with best practices in outbreak prevention and management, such as contact tracing and cohorting. So it would actually save lives um, and prevent costly outbreaks. So better testing processes and data could also be used to inform and shape policy development and um, you know, the design of new long-term care homes of the future. So the timing is right for this one. There's many Canadian companies looking for Health Canada approval on their testing solutions. And PeopleCare actually right now has a proposal in front of the government for a rapid results testing solution that would revolutionize outbreak management. It would be game-changing for long-term care. That's that's good news. I mean, that, that sounds incredibly encouraging. Now, what are we hearing or what are you hearing about those rapid tests? I mean, are these, are these things that are tangible in the next little while? Yes, yeah, so there's many, many um, uh, products in, right in front of um, the government right now looking for approval. Um, they've all been through final stages of um, accuracy um, and determination. Um, so honestly, it is, 
it is, um, you know, it could happen at any day for that approval to be in place and for us to um, implement and pilot this solution within our homes. Yeah, because the faster we can get results, the faster you can know, the faster you can act. I mean, I think we're all kind of looking for that. If you could know, it's fairly quick now. I mean, it's 24 hours, but if you could know a whole lot quicker than that, that would that would be helpful. We're talking right now with Jen Killing, who is the Vice President of Quality and Innovation for People Care Communities Incorporated. We're talking about long-term care. And, Jen, so many things have been able to be altered the way businesses have kind of worked them before the pandemic and and now we have those alterations can you see anything that may stay the same when and if our current situation in this pandemic ends sure so one thing that we've always focused on um, in our organization but also in in long-term care is we've had um, strong infection control leads in every home they're very capable they're clinical they're skilled clinical team members Um, And they've really stepped up throughout the pandemic and led all of our IPAC efforts, such as education for our team and proper use of PPE, um, building staff confidence so they can trust in their skills, their training, and the equipment um, in order to, you know, uh, provide care for our residents. We're now actually looking to build on our strengths in infection control, and we're hiring a senior um, infection control specialist who will oversee and enhance our team's ability to fight COVID now, um, but also help us frame and design what long-term care um, will look like in the future. Excellent. Okay. Uh, maybe can we ask two more things, and maybe these will these will be happier things. Thank you for the answers okay. and everything else. But uh, these ones, I think, will will be happier. Uh, the new visitation rules for families. How are they working? So truly, um, as our our families are our caregiving partners, and um, they're needed and they're missed in our homes. Our families partner with us and they make it possible to find the balance of quality of care and quality of life. And early on, we made virtual visits a priority to keep our families connected and engaged. Um, Many have participated in that and found it really reassuring. They tell us it's great to see that their mom's hair is brushed or their dad's bed is made um, because they weren't able to um, come on site and provide um, that oversight that they're normally a part of. Um, But truly nothing replaces an in-person interaction. And so we're so pleased um, with the government's announcement for outdoor social visits as a cautious first step in reuniting our families with their loved ones. For weeks, we've been talking to partners like Family Councils Ontario and the government about how to reunite our families and residents in a safe, supported way. And uh, we have, uh, we're really, really happy um, to implement our plans for those safe outdoor visits. And in fact, um, to make that um, even better, we, uh, we did take the time to survey our families um, and, and find out what do they want um, and what do they need to return uh, to the home with the right precautions and support. And for them, they shared that it meant PPE and education. Um, schedule of visits was very important. And we've been working with some um, innovative um, applications to make it as easy as possible for families um, to self-schedule um, and ensure that they get their visit in. And truly, um, there's nothing more wonderful than to see the joy on our faces of our families and their loved ones when they're able to get together after so many weeks. 
Yeah, that's just it. We spent some time just talking about mental health and a four-day work week to start the show, but I can't imagine what that might do for the mental health of someone in a long-term care home to actually be able to get a visit like that that isn't just through a window or isn't, you know, as, as great as iPads are and, and as great as phones are and, and those sorts of things, tablets, how great must it be to, to think, hey, we, we could actually do something done right, but we could actually do something that, that gets them to see their family members and loved ones that'd be great exactly well jen we really appreciate your time and your candid answers on all of this thanks for taking it through what it's been like on on kind of the other side of things and please stay safe and uh, and i hope that this ends sooner rather than later and uh, we can put some smiles on some faces thank you thanks for your time today take care that's you jen too. killing Jen is the VP of Quality and Innovation for People Care Communities, and they run Oak Crossing. So I wanted to see kind of what what it was like from the inside and the idea that here are the things that they're changing. They're hiring new people to address some of the concerns, and you're looking at, you know, the staff doing what they've been able to do. But could you have prevented this? No, I, I really don't believe that. Do you? I mean, could you have prevented? We had the iron ring put around long-term care homes, but there were some in situations, and Jen pointed it out, where you have ward care, where you have residents in four people to a room, ward-style accommodations, and that's that right there is tough whether we're dealing with a cold or a flu or, or whatever it is. And then we've talked about this from the beginning. You feel for long-term care workers when everybody's saying physically distance and they're saying, yeah, but I have to do a firefighter lift to get this patient out of bed or to get this person out of bed. And uh, so physical distancing, that's, that's not a thing. There are some things that fit within the parameters. There are others that do not. And I don't know how you would change too much in long-term care homes other than the idea that the ones that were pointed to as, you know, having some issues, as, you know, the news reports that went in, those are the ones that, that needed to be addressed. And some of the, you know, the the inspections needed to be changed. But overall, it's good to know that there is a learning process going on. There are changes being made, and uh, maybe we can make it onward and upward. Let's get a recap of celebrating 10 years of what one run has done. The 10th anniversary event was going to be one thing. COVID-19 allowed it to be another. And as much as you think, well, you know, the, uh, there you go with, with great plans laid out and then all of a sudden you have to make changes, it changed into something that it may kind of hang on to for a little while. Everyone was encouraged to, over the course of a month, whether it's walk, run, cycle, roll down a hill, for 100 kilometers. And then at the end of that month period, Teresa Carrier would run 100 kilometers in less than 24 hours. So that's what ended up happening, and that's what did happen. And the online component, it was fun to watch where people were, what they were doing, how they were doing it, and it ended up raising money for one run. Joining us right now is Teresa Carrier, who I, I don't know how long it takes to recover from 100 kilometers. I, I think most of us, we might never recover. Teresa, how are you recovering? I'm recovering just Fine, thank you, Mike. It was uh, 
it's been a, a, a quite a crazy weekend. As you'd mentioned, One Run 2020 has uh, taken some turns. It didn't uh, start the way we start, wanted. It didn't finish the, exactly the way we had planned. But nonetheless, it was a successful event, and we're thrilled that everyone was able to participate and be engaged in the, the event. Well, thank you for keeping it going, number one, because that's something that every event has had to face. Hey, can we even do this? And then to come up with the format that you did, and then to cap it off with you running 100 kilometers again, and then finding out that the weather was going to, well, let's call it be uncooperative when you're dealing with humidity of 35 plus i mean that's that's tough so that meant you started on thursday night you finished on friday morning to try and stay away from the heat it was still pretty warm though it wasn't was it pretty warm well thursday night was uh it started off pretty well but the heat did get to me quite a bit and uh i went back out early on friday morning and i did need some help so thankfully, after my 50, uh, we had some runners of hope who came to my rescue and helped complete the 100Ks. So Ruth Dirks, Boyd Delaney, Dave Hill, and Marianne Laudit, uh came out. We asked them to help us, and uh, thankfully they showed up and helped me uh, complete the 100K. Oh, well, fantastic. Now, in terms of running that much, because I think you just kind of reeled off 35K on the Thursday night, didn't you? How, do you, right. how do you? how do you do that? How do you keep going that far? <laughs> With lots of help and lots of support, that's for sure. And, of course, preparation and training, and the, the crew was there uh, making sure that I was well taken care of, making sure I, I was well hydrated and, and kept cool and uh, bright and early, or actually I should say dark and early, uh, they were there again to, to get the legs going for me and helping me out. So uh, you can't do it without the help of everyone who's there to support you, that's for sure. And you have now run 100 kilometers in less than 24 hours six times in your life. Well, five times for sure. Like I okay. said, this, this past time, it was only 50. <laughs> right, right. So but... I'm going to have to, I can't take credit for the whole uh, 600, but... Uh, Yes, it's uh, it's been a crazy adventure and uh, something that uh, myself, my family, and all those who are part of One Run will never forget. Wow. We're talking with Teresa Carrier. You can visit onerun.ca right now, and you can find out all kinds of information. What do you do to recover? Are you are you still going into the ice bath, or what do you do? <laughs> well, I have a massage uh, scheduled for tomorrow, so that'll help. But taking <laughs> some walks with uh, my husband and my, my kids and uh, trying to keep the legs loose. But, uh, you know, Mike, I'm getting a little, a little older, so it's taking a little bit longer to recover, but uh, it's all worth it in the end, that's for sure. You've raised over a million dollars, and when you get the totals here, I mean, that, that's just climbing. Is it hard to get your head around that, Teresa? Oh, it, always. It, it is. It's, I shake my head quite often at the amount of support we get from this community and beyond, and uh, just how important it is to so many to support this this cause and the organizations that we help out in Wellspring and Child Can. As you mentioned, you know, it's, it's a tough year for a lot of people and being sensitive to those that are struggling financially, we certainly didn't anticipate to raise uh, a whole lot of money this year. We just wanted to get the community involved and to remind them that there are still those dealing with cancer who need some help. Um, and they just stepped up. It's the entire team. We just shake our head in disbelief that uh, they've come out in full force, all of our supporters. 
Over the years, Tracy, you've been able to get high school students involved in this, other members of the community involved in this. There's talk that maybe this could be even taken further, and, and we'll see how far that winds up going. Right. Is that something that, that is still kind of you know, a, a hope for this, that maybe one day we can... We can see, I don't know whether it's 100-kilometer runs from individuals, you know, one taking care of the 100 kilometers, or just, you know, these sorts of events happening all over the place. There's just so many possibilities, and we certainly uh, are looking at all of them. You know, we've had 10 years of one run and really learning a lot of life lessons. Anybody who's been involved can tell you that it is life-changing, and there's so much goodness, especially in this time where there's so much uh, darkness it's it's nice to see, you know, some some positive moments, some uh, motivation, motivation, some inspiring moments. You know, we we still had um, some people coming out at the side of the road saying thank you for running. Uh, it's just it's just so it's a feel good event, and if we can share that with others in the province, others in the country, we will absolutely extend ourselves and hopefully. Um, spread more joy. You know, One Run has taught us about beating cancer. It's taught us about strength in our community. And more importantly, and as I found out recently, that there's no shame in asking for help. So I think there's a lot of lessons to pull from One Run. And uh, the more people that learn about it, I think the better this world will be. Keep being the inspiration that you are, and good luck getting the rest of that lactic acid worked out, (laughs) Teresa. And I'm sure we'll be talking again about one runs in the future. I hope so. Thank you again for all your support. Take care. Thank you. That's Teresa Carrier, breast cancer survivor, and someone who, in the beginning, wanted to do something. And how many things are born out of that? Want to do something. Can't just sit here. Can't just have something happen and and not do something about it. And that's where this was born. And now well over a million dollars has been raised in the fight against cancer. And you can, again, if you don't know know anything about One Run, visit onerun.ca, and they've got a great website that can help you to understand everything that has gone into it. You've been listening to the London Live Podcast. Catch the show live on weekdays from 1 to 3.